Your show's rubbish. Okay, okay. Oh, oh, tell me when we're recording. Okay, we are recording now. Okay, welcome to the D-Trout Spinners. But it's not a normal D-Trout Spinners. It's a very special episode. We've got a big interview. I'm Gary Forrestal. With me is Mars Purnell. Hello. How are you doing, Mars? I'm good. Yeah, it's it's quite wet and rainy today. But no, I'm, I feel good. I'm in good spirits for today. I mean, I'm excited. I'm a little bit nervous. I'm just nervous I'm going to need the bathroom for no, this interview. We've just discussed this. We are going to have a wee immediately before the interview but in about 15 minutes basically we're going to be interviewing lisa ullman now that's not a name that will jump out at most people she's a behind the scenes person rather than a front of house person but she produced the ricky gervais show that ran on hbo and channel 4 in about 2010 2011 the animated series which i'm sure most of you will be familiar with now it's a rule of ours that our podcast is about the xfm ricky gervais show and not about the podcast but since we mars has been sort of tracking or pursuing lisa it sounds bad no not in a creepy way no but he found out about her and this is just too good an opportunity to turn down so it is about we do only talk really about the xfm show but this is so linked we think to the subject so it'd be fascinating to talk to her and she's a bigger she's in america at the moment it's about quarter to five p.m here and she's in the morning so she's going to join us in about 15 minutes this is just a little introduction we're recording what's your interview style going to be because i want to know i don't want to be the dead wood here i'm thinking that you'll be the paxman and i'll be the sort of graham norton do you want to drink take a seat provide some comic relief to some degree i think you're overthinking it i'm going to press her on whether she's um, threatened to overrule her press secretary or you know in all seriousness you know we we hope when we interview we are not experienced interviewers so yeah previously we've interviewed um richard and richard anderson and andrew phillips uh if you haven't heard those interviews check them out but yeah those are the only people we've ever interviewed in any context really i mean, I've, sp- I mean I've spoken to people in life and yeah. you know in awesome questions and- Asking your mum how she is is not so an So I've just got to look at Lisa and imagine that I'm talking to my mum. Yeah, don't tell her that. I don't think no, that'll okay. go down too well. <laughs> but um, you're like my mum. It's so creepy as well as... But yeah, anyway, this is just a little introduction. So um, we're about to start now and I think we're both ready. Yeah, we're I think so. Ready. And what we'll do is we'll, we'll, record, we'll record the interview because that's the whole point of this show and then Hopefully. at the end don't and forget the to end... press record miles because that'll be <laughs> yeah, annoying no, this one we've had a few technical glitches on the way we have which isn't today, unlike yeah. this show so do do stay tuned at the end because we've got some big news relating to um other people we're going to be interviewing other news that we've got put in podcast land and yeah i hope i hope you enjoy it i hope we enjoy it and i hope that we perform as we want us to perform yeah, no, I'm performing as I want me to perform. <laughs> I, I want you to, to perform as you want. Yeah, it's uh, hopefully Lisa enjoys it as well. That's a lot yeah. nice. And um, so, yeah, here is the interview. Well, I'm delight, genuinely delighted today to say we've got a very special guest with us. Um, she is, amongst other things, the Emmy Award-nominated producer of... The Ricky Gervais Show. Executive ran, producer, Gary. Executive producer that ran on HBO and Channel 4 a few years ago. 
Lisa Ullman. Lisa, how's it going? It's going great. I'm just thrilled to be talking to you guys. Fantastic. Thanks so much for doing it. We really appreciate it. And just, I, I guess, obviously, you've done many things in your careers, looking up what you're doing now and what you're doing before. But obviously, this, our podcast is about the Ricky Gervais show that ran on XFM. But all of our listeners will be aware of the animated series. How does one sort of fall into that role? I mean, what did you do before? What was your journey up to that point in media? Well, I'll tell you, Gary. Uh, basically, you know, I, I worked as a development executive for several years, first in film and then in television and um, have always been just a real big comedy geek. And I always say in regards to the entertainment industry, it just pays to be a fan. You know, if you're mm. like a really big unabashed fan um, and you know your stuff, it really can pave the way to success. I mean, Quentin Tarantino is kind of like the best example, I think, of that, right? Um, mm. So I don't know how I got, I was, I've been like an Anglophile forever. I, I, I mean, you know, I was a huge fan of The Young Ones, Ab Fab, oh, you know, right. like I've just, I, I used to go to London all the time when I was um, a kid. My mom and I would go on these trips. And um, so I've just been a huge fan of British comedy uh, for years. Um, and so I don't remember how I got wind of the office, but I was definitely an early bird uh, on the office and mm. obviously became completely obsessed. And um, so I, I had been working at a network and made the leap. Um, I joined a, a company called Wild Brain and I had never worked in animation before, but the company was looking for somebody who had not work they were they were a production company but they also were an animation studio and they wanted somebody with like an alternative comedy sensibility who had not worked in animation and i thought that that was really interesting because it showed kind of thinking out of the box uh because a lot of different sectors of business can get a little bit myopic so i found myself working at this this company and started looking at things with uh the eye towards could we animate this i i was so obsessed with the uh the ricky gervais show podcast again it was after the office and you know you guys are old school you understand but um you know i i was i mean it it, it dates me but i was i was making cds for people i remember i was in costa rica like on a five-hour bus ride and uh just listening to it nonstop. like oh. it, it just it was just a complete obsession and uh so i i got to this company and was just thinking about what would work for animation and um i'm certainly not the first person with the idea to turn the ricky gervais show into an animated series there was you know there was a show called dr cats which i was a huge fan of back in the day which was a really good uh precedent for taking audio and then animating it. Mm -hmm. And um, there were a lot of YouTube videos uploaded of kind of rudimentary animation to the, to the podcast. But frankly, um, our, uh, we were represented by an agency at the time called Endeavor that's now William Morris Endeavor. And our agent, uh, Richard Whites, was also Ricky Gervais's agent. So uh, I was just very fortunate because I had access. So um, I just said, would Ricky ever want to animate these? And credit to Richard Whites because he basically just 
threw it together really quickly. And I'll I'll never forget, um, and this is where it it pays to be a fan, the first call we had with Ricky and with um, MRC, which was the studio that was going to be financing, we decided we were going to do an animatic or a test before we went out and pitched the show. So we were on this call. It was the first time we were on this call with Ricky and I can't remember what we were discussing, but I, I think I was talking about what would be a good example for, for the animatic. And I'll just never forget this because, you know, there's all these people on the call and I, I know the, and, I, and I'm not bragging. I'm just saying as a fan, like I knew the podcast back and forth. And take I, the praise, I just, Lisa. Take the okay, praise. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so um, I said something like, you know, a great example for an animatic would be, I said, Ricky, do you remember, you know, you remember the episode where Carl um, admonishes um, a bird for, you know, taking, for trying to, to kill a worm? And he said, he tried to stop a robin from eating a worm, you know, like, just like, oi, 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 oi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like he was on the podcast, you know, like he, yeah. he, he reacted the same way. And then that scene became our animatic because it was just such I, I don't know why that popped into my head that that one episode but it just seemed you know this very tranquil scene in a park and then you know Carl is trying to disrupt the forces of nature <laughs> you know it just seemed like such a great example um so basically you know we we put together that animatic and uh then set some meetings and obviously Ricky had a relationship with with HBO and it was really easy for them to to say yes so I I take credit for being a fan but um it really uh is all about access and we were very fortunate in that our agent was also Ricky's agent and it was just a huge opportunity absolutely it sounds like those two things came together because often you'll get I guess you'll get someone who's very good at producing but they're not necessarily a fan of something or you'll get someone who's a fan of something but they can't do the production but it seemed to have really everything kind of came right together in that moment and I guess it's it must have been great for you to be a huge fan I didn't realize you were you know listening to them in Costa Rica and kind of obsessive fan I mean I was literally like making CDs for everybody I knew like obsessive (laughs) and again an obsessive fan over the office like it's it's and I'll tell the story about that um, in person with with Ricky. But yeah, I mean, an obsessive fan. It wasn't just like, oh, this is an opportunity. It was like this is a dream come true. Gary often says um, about the office. He says you can judge someone's personality on whether they like the office or not. <laughs> and that's a mantra that I've lived my life by. Yeah. Yes. This whole, this whole time for thirty years. Yes, for sure. There is something great about the podcast because I listen to a lot of podcasts, um, a, a different variety, like documentaries, whatever it is. But they work so well on the animation. And I think one of the benefits about audio, and we talk a lot about this on the show, is the fact that you can kind of make up the pictures and using your imagination. But yes. the animation was so great because the sketches and the scenarios that they painted they just worked so well. And I don't know whether it's just like Carl's surreal imagination and his bizarre stories that he comes up with, but it, it, it really worked. 
how hard is it sort of to convince people to, to sort of get involved with that or um how oh. do you set on the style of the animation and yeah i have a, i have a lot of thoughts on that um or or revelation so first and foremost um i i will say that i have very good expertise in comedy very had very little expertise in animation so um early on uh our designer craig kelman uh for the first season he wanted um, he came up with some ideas and I think it actually started, Ricky actually is pretty talented, a, a relatively talented artist. So he drew oh. drawing of himself kind of like Fred Flintstone-ish yeah. and, um, Craig kind of ran with that and, um, you know, Ricky has been quoted as saying like there, there was a juxtaposition of this kind of like nostalgic childlike animation because yeah. there, there is a biting quality. I mean, it's, it's not really biting if you're British, you know, I mean, that's, that's the culture, right. But um, it, it helped underscore anything that was, you know, it was like a fantasy and, and sweet. And uh, so the style was absolutely dictated. It was guided by Ricky. He had some specific ideas about that. It, it was a real process. Like it's, it's actually, it can be difficult for me to watch the show because um, it, it hadn't really been done before, you know, and, and it took a long time to kind of find our footing because um, I'm, I'm really proud of the last season there. I was looking on Instagram and there was a episode that I love um, where Carl plays a hostage negotiator. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that <laughs> was one of my favorites. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's such a brilliant, it's such brilliant audio, but once we figured out, we kind of said, well, what if Steve and Ricky are the cops? You know, so we started to take liberties as we moved on. Whereas like in the first season, we would have just made regular cops. So it took some time. It evolved. You know, you can kind of see like the evolution. It was really fun to kind of insert Steve and Ricky in certain character roles that they were setting up. Right. Um, so it was really challenging just, uh, and it, it's also very challenging from an animation perspective because generally speaking in animation, you have kind of sets it like, you know, take a show like Bob's Burgers and yeah. by the way, the, the creator of Bob's Burgers before Bob's Burgers was our consultant for season one. Okay. I yeah. Love, love Bob's Burgers. Fantastic. Yeah. It was, it was just very challenging because it's very expensive to have different scenarios every single time, you know, different characters. It's, and so I, it, it was just, it was confusing and it was confusing about, we decided, okay, we'll have them in studio, you know, we'll cut back to them in studio. Cause that a frankly keeps costs That's down. Thing. And it also just is what it is, right? We're not pretending that it's not, you know, them commenting on things. So um, the home base was helpful. And then, but yeah, it, it definitely evolved. It, it, you know, just one example in terms of um, that I really remember uh, that I'm really proud of or that, that was really difficult to kind of figure out, you know, because Carl's musings are so extreme that they're sometimes very <laughs> difficult to animate. So um, there was, there's a, there's a great, it's, it's an example to me of like Carl actually being very prescient and, and also very spiritual where he says, you know, does the brain control you or do you control the brain? Yeah. Yeah. And um, we've all thought it. Yeah. 
But um, when Ricky, he, he, I forget the exact dialogue, but Ricky is basically trying to explain, like, it's not as if there's a brain in your brain and we had to figure out how to animate that, right? And so I just said, well, maybe it's like mini Carl in his brain working like a construction, you know, kind of apparatus. So it was like, you, you're doing writing in the animation. You know, you have to wow. kind of create new scenarios for what they're saying a lot of the time. The process was what we would do is we would record the audio, we would edit a podcast and create like an audio template and then we would transcribe it and then we would create an outline and the outline would have like all of the animation direction in it. Mm -hmm. So that was the way we would kind of work through it that would then turn into an animatic. And one of the other wonderful things about animation is that, um, you know, there was an animator. I remember there was some, some episode where there were two bugs talking or commenting on Carl. <laughs> and I remember it was outlined and the person who did the animation just took a, a liberty that was so funny and so unique. It was like one insect's elbow was like on the other one's shoulder and like kind of like going like get a load of this guy and I just was like who is this animator she you know they totally get it and I her name was Tatiana and I was like I want her for everything because she just added you know like a, a an extra layer joke based on what was in the outline so it's it was a really interesting process um based on who's doing the storyboard who's doing the um animation there were just layers that could could get added and improved, but it all started with the audio and then this yeah. this outline where we would describe what would happen in the animation. It's fascinating because like animation and filmmaking generally is such a collaborative form, isn't it? Like, and it sounds like you had some great collaborators that your artists and it's also fascinating because like you mentioned, there is that other level because the podcasts are hilarious. Yes. I, I listen to them a lot, like obviously going to sleep, walking. I was obsessed like like you. Yes. Lisa. But yeah. also the, the animation, it adds that next layer. And that's such a, I, I love that because it's it just, it's such a beautiful marriage and it creates just such a great thing to watch. It feels very, I remember when I first watched it, I was like, I, d I didn't really get it well, the first time I watched it. And it took me a few times to get into because I was I was so passionate about the podcast. But we I were so familiar with these stories, weren't we? And it yes. was like when you talk, but it was fantastic. Like, I, I love seeing them animated and it, because it's it's such a it, would, it was kind of a new thing to have done, to have taken a podcast, a body of work and then animate that was kind of, as you said, Lisa, as you sort of suggested, it's kind of a very new project. And it was it sounds like a very creative one. And you were a very hands on producer, which in no small part because you were such a fan of the shows. Yes, and I will say, if anybody ever said to me, I love the podcast, I do not like the animated show, I'd be like, respect. You know, like I'm such a purist. I would say, why? Like, what did we do wrong? Like, I, I felt like I was kind of safeguarding the holy grail. Like, I took the job so seriously <laughs> because, yeah. Um, you know, I remember in the last season, I'd be like, wait, we didn't do the mug episode where he came up with the clippable mug mat or whatever. You know, yeah. like I just knew yeah. that there were certain classics. You know, I was I was so committed and devoted to making sure and, and that it was um, added value and not just 
opportunistic. Um, I really do respect anyone who, for whatever reason, is a purist just based on the audio. And I would always just say, why? You know, like what? What? But I've been I've been so happy that most people. Well, number one, I. I I'm Jewish and I say it's a mitzvah because there are people who oh. didn't listen to the podcast. Right. And so yeah, I feel yeah. like I, I created a mitzvah by bringing Carl to more, <laughs> you know, like imagine that there are people who didn't listen to the podcast and this is their first exposure, you know, like that's a huge, that, that makes me really happy. Oh, yeah. and, Carl's kind of yeah. a cult, cult figure now, isn't he? I mean, he was a cult figure when we listened to him on, on XFM and you still see people now with like um, that image of, Carl as the animation on on shirts, yeah. and it's still part of you it's know tattoos, of... tattoos. Because I went into my oh, my really? dive, yes, like the animation, and I'm like, oh my god, and they're just like head like a fucking with the you know orange emoticon, you know the orange. Have emoji. you had any tattoos, Lisa? Is that what no, you said? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But we we find Lisa that we we've got. I know uh, this is not like a thing about our podcast. I'm not. We're not huge. We, we'll always have a, a a ceiling because not many people know about the XFM shows. But we find we've got quite an international audience for what we do have, and. We've asked, you know, how did you get into the XFM shows, the very, uh, the sort of genesis of their time together, the three of them. And quite a few of them have said, you know, they got into it through the animated shows that your your Ricky Gervais show, your version of Ricky Gervais show. So it's kind of you've bought Carl. Part of the reason he's a cult figure is because of your show. And that that must feel quite quite special. That's wonderful to hear. I mean, it's so ironic because, uh, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm oftentimes, I mean, this sounds so pretentious, but I'm a little bit ahead of the curve. And, you know, this was the, like now they're animating podcasts. Like I do feel that the show should have had a little bit of a larger reception. Mm. So I love, but you know, that happens a lot with things that are um, cult following after the fact. And um, I, I just, Nothing, like I said, nothing makes me happier if I'm bringing more uh, attention to Carl and, of course, you know, having him potentially recognized in public and harassed. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he appreciates it as well. <laughs> I want to ask him, how did you decide that? What was the selection process like for the scenes you wanted to animate? Was someone deciding that or was it very much sort of by committee? It was it was very simple, actually. So what we did was we just decided to go sequentially. Right. We just like the podcasts are in order. So we just went sequentially because, you know, Carl's diary, you got to do that before, you know, so or monkey news or what have you. So we just the process and, it, you know, talk about like a job from heaven. You know, I'd be with our kind of showrunner and director. We would just be in an we would cut the audio and, and just, it was just really listening really carefully and then creating these audio templates because, you know, some of the sort of, sorry, some of the content in the podcast could be edited out. So it's just making it a sharper version of what you're listening to. So we just went through seasons one through three, like that, that were, you know, however many there were, we just went in order. And then we just kind of looked at what, was left if there were specials and you know what ended up on the cutting room floor and in the final season what we could kind of like stitch together that that was just something that ricky agreed to and um it just made sense right because it's like you're following the podcast like the evolution of carl has to be 
linear and in a time frame because they sometimes refer back to things and yeah but yeah it was just editing out it's just listening really carefully and and when you're listening like like you said you're just imagining the visuals and finding oh that's a great visual or this is just them it's just banter it's not really anything yeah yeah how closely did you work with ricky and did you work was was steve and carl were they involved sort of in the process at all and how closely was ricky involved so um kind of reminiscent of of how we're living in uh COVID, uh, we really did everything remotely. I mean, you know, we obviously had some calls, we'd have a call at the top of the season, but everything was really over email, you know, like we would just share, like I told you that there'd be a a kind of outline, right? There would be like audio, then an outline, we would just submit everything. And he would just give notes. Um, Oh, and, and just to, so Carl was not involved at all. And Steve was not it was really just Ricky. I mean, Steve was involved in the calls in the beginning, but it was really yeah. primarily Ricky. Okay. Um, and it was all over email. Um, I mean, we, we spoke, you know, again, we would have these calls like at the top of a new season and, and just discuss things. But it was very easy to submit things to him on email. OK, yeah, I kind of it's uh, it's interesting because Ricky, kind of, we kind of have this impression of Ricky. We don't know him, obviously, like you actually know, him, <laughs> but that he's very kind of hands on with everything that he does. And he's very kind of he might sort of he likes to control it, not in a not in a uh, sinister way, but yes. he just likes to control everything. But it sounds like he gave you quite a lot of freedom after giving you his initial sort of Fred Flintstone like drawing and saying this is kind of the style I want. Sounds like he gave you quite a lot of freedom to animate as you felt and i think it's also because it's content that already existed and he loves animation and it's sort of like it was it's easier having being somebody who hadn't worked in animation it's a little bit easier to give up control when it's a medium that you haven't actually produced directed uh it's like okay i'm going to defer to them because that's what they what they do you know there were times when um i would <laughs> I'm just laughing because it's not it's not even funny, but I, I would be in arguments internally with my own studio because I was so um, I was the control freak like I, I had to create a a and so our our the director of the studio was like, we're doing all of these retakes. It's costing a lot of money and we'd never get notes from Ricky. And I was like, that's because I'm doing my job, you know, and she in and I understood her perspective but I was really fastidious. And um, I remember at one point I, I felt concerned that some of the animators, and it, this would not be anything you would pick up from the show, but I felt that there was, I felt concerned that there wasn't, that tonally some of the animators weren't, or directors weren't understanding the Ricky Gervais ch- tone and kind of the deadpan mm. British comedy tone. So I created like this, real like this tone reel of like things from the office and like Mm. look at the eye darts like it's not it's not about a big laugh or a big reaction it's an eye dart it's like you know i just had to take reality and and you know or just when steve and ricky look at each other like oh my god this is getting good you know because so much of the comedy is in how they're reacting to him but it's not like unless they're laughing it may not be a big bellow laugh it might just be like a subtle yeah so I'm very proud of my being the control freak and then uh, uh, ideally, you know, that we, we didn't receive a ton of notes from Ricky because, like I said, it pays to be a fan. And if you if you're 
a student of, of the style, then um, it's just it's just mimicking what they've already done so brilliantly uh, and, and just finding a way to make it work in animation. Absolutely. And you really did. It, it really comes across. Well, I know, you know, you could say, oh, I'm just saying that because you're on, but um, it comes across fantastically. The amount of creativity that you put into that and your animators put into that was quite astounding because, you know, you've got the audio there, but as you say, you know, in it's hard, you didn't think about this before, but, you know, when you have Carl inside his brain or just a, an insect put in his elbow, another insect shoulder, you know, those are, it's really hard. It must be really hard to do when you've got a body of audio that you can't change. You can't say to Ricky, actually, could we just, could you just say this line? Because then we, right. you've got, you, you're kind of constrained with the audio, but you made it you know fantastic. but also to be when when you love something that much it was literally like and, and i also want to give um credit to our showrunners and consultants carl adams lauren bouchard steve patrick uh you know our director dan frega there were amazing craig kelman there were a lot of amazing people involved in these creative choices um but yes it, it was agonizing because like i said it was um it, it's like being a defense attorney for somebody who's, you know, it's like to kill a mockingbird, but with animation. <laughs> Do you have something that didn't make the show or that you, or you wish made the show and it was like a personal favorite or like some of the hard decisions that you had to make whilst in the production? You know, I would say no, because towards the last season, we were really kind of scraping together additional audio and specials. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it, it's not, it's not, it's just because of the editing process, right? It's just because yeah. a lot of stuff had to be cut that wasn't made for animation. So yeah, no, there was, there was really nothing that I felt we, we missed out on including. And, and like I said, I just remember in that final season, we have to do clippable mat, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's a conversation I thought you thought you'd never be in. And and me, I mean, just imagine me like fighting with the animators. Like, I need sketches of the clippable mat, and you know, I mean, it's just like it's so inane and hilarious. You know, it's just so hilarious that you have to bring the musings of a madman to life, and that it's like I'm the dictator saying, "I need more clippable mat sketches. It has to be more bizarre, or it looks too, you know." (laughs) And I'm getting getting paid for this, and it's my job for like three years. Yeah, but conversely to that, then what? I mean, you were you were nominated for an Emmy for the Knob at Night episode. That was actually nominated for an Emmy, and you must have been, you know, but you, I assume that was an incredible moment. But what was the episode that you did or a part of an episode you did or one little scene? What's the thing you're most proud of out of everything of all the shows? I I have to think about it because, again, I haven't revisited. Well, first of all, I want to share and I'll like email you guys a photo. I have the certificate of the Emmy nomination and there's nothing better than like the (laughs) in very nice writing. It says, you know, the episode knob at night, you know, I mean, yeah, it's just, that's so it's, it's so like formal and yet wrong. I bet um, the, Emmy, the Emmy table just thought, sorry, how do you spell knob? So Is that exactly, sort of a K exactly, or an N or what? I, there's so much that I love. I mean, like I said, I think that I, I remember <laughs> KP plumbing. I just thought the that's, K that's like that's my the, favorite sketch yeah, of all time. It's pretty amazing. Like just the 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 conversation and how mean he is, and just the fact of Carl being a boss. I just I really just 
got such a kick out of that. Um, I'm also really proud, and I do credit our director, Dan Fraga, of all of Carl's movies, you know, with Clive Warren and uh, yeah. both of the movie episodes. The, the love of the two brains. Is that... Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Really yeah. think that that is just, and again, I really credit the director because he's kind of a, he's, he's also like a really good storyboard artist, so he had this way we wanted to make the animation like a real movie and so he had such great visuals um so i really loved yeah the love of two brains and uh rebecca de Mornay. yeah i also really loved there was an episode where carl's day where it's just this kind of standalone episode where suzanne leaves for work and just like what he does all day and it's kind of very quiet and like almost like a documentary of like a man who has tiling and you know it's just it's grouting. kind of yeah yeah grouting and it's just different than the typical episode so i thought that was a really yeah i think the the hostage negotiator oh. is just so fabulous um and again i just was so proud of that because of how it ended up working with steve and ricky being in the scene you know that was that was a kind of creative departure for us and it it really worked really well and it's also just obviously the audio is so unbelievable you know i mean it's so what, weird, but brilliant it's, in a so, good it's like what could be what could be worse than carl is a hostage i mean you know what i mean like it's just yeah. it's is the guy who yeah it's it's unbelievable so um yeah those are some of my favorites and and uh but yeah i'd have to, i'd have to revisit them i just think that we really kind of hit our stride in like the final season where we were able to insert Ricky and Steve in. Um, and I, I, I'm va- maybe you guys remember, I'm vaguely remembering something about an octopus. Why can I not remember the octopus? <laughs> oh, he, he, uh, he wants to like punch an octopus or something. I, yeah. I, it, yeah. He's got a thing about jellyfish as well. He's, yeah. He's jellyfish, yeah. Yeah. Punch an octopus. Oh yeah. Is it, I remember. Is it like take that? But actually on the actual audio, is that where Ricky said, we can say it. Cause it, it says, it's like take that you cunt or something like that. Yeah, says, like, yeah. Protect, like Rick is yeah, crazy. But um, and I also liked Carl's. There was like Carl's Guide to the Future. There were a couple of guides yeah. that were great. You know, I yeah. mean the future stuff. His future predictions. Right. I mean, <laughs> I find it so strange because Carl's got an opinion on literally any everything if you were to ask yes. me what's your what are your um thoughts on the future I go uh i need half an hour to think about this. it just comes yeah. up so quick i think it's why the 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 show is so great now because now like you said lisa you have things are actually made to be produced into television you know what from being a podcast they're made with you know that in mind foresight, with that in mind yeah. and it does for me it ruins it like part of the genius of the ricky gervais show is because it felt very i mean they were kind of forerunners of the whole podcast it was you know. the most successful podcast of all yeah. time i mean there were no podcasts but there was so much improv and stuff it just felt very fluid like it felt like how i want the podcast i love a podcast that just like it just feels yeah. like you know you're just moving through conversation and chat and that's the kind of free flow and stuff that the Ricky Gervais did so well and it translated great onto 
animation you feel very it just feels very fluid and relaxed i think the fact i think the fact that they didn't do it for animation at the time they just did it for a podcast makes it work better then you can animate it and it's brilliant but if they'd done it with that in mind if anyone did it with that in mind it wouldn't have been as good it wouldn't have been as natural i guess i for sure and i've always been a huge fan i mean i have a lot you know i'm a huge fan of certain radio you know comedy radio shows or other podcasts and and um you know, one of the things that I, in, in listening to the audio as much as I did, one of the things that I really learned is how brilliant Stephen Merchant is. Uh, mm. I mean, he really uh, comes up with like a lot of zingers and, you know, it's just so obvious he's like an accomplished comic when you really are paying that much attention to and not just like the stories that he's telling, just his reactions and, and his additions, I, I found to be extraordinary. He's an integral part of the, the threesome, isn't he? He's kind of sort of a, I don't know, he's like a, a balance, like a like a weight between Ricky and Carl at one end. He's yes. Kind of, he, he balances them out, I think, in a, in, a, in a different way. His role kind of evolves. But that's, that's interesting how kind of doing the animation, you've kind of realised even more so how good Stephen Merchant is as a comic he's he's fantastic actually it's, it yes. could easily be the Ricky and Steve show and it wouldn't be no one could complain well, there's about so it. many great great moments with Stephen isn't it like um the nightclub story where he ends up signing autographs yes yes we've often said that Steve I, th- I think Steve is the best at telling an anecdote about his past Steve is best at actual f- true anecdotes I yes. just love his anecdotes they're fantastic yes like the there was an episode where he's in Brazil and you yeah. know um, yeah yeah and it's that typical self-deprecating and also you know being so op- so honest about being angry that everybody's so beautiful you know and uh, <laughs> Well, yeah. I can agree with that. <laughs> yeah. do, what about um? Did, did you ever listen to any of the um XFM shows, Lisa? Mm. Like um, that they're based on, or have you sort of been listening to them now, or not know if about you, them if at you all? Got a treat in store because they're brilliant. I I do need to listen to them. I probably listen to some. I need to listen to them. I mean, one of my favorite things about the whole story, and I certainly have experiences like this in my life, is that. Carl was just assigned to them as a producer, you know, like I, so I, I know all of that. Like I love that it's found gold, you know, and that it's just a thousand percent authentic. Like that it was just this guy who is a weird, very, obviously a very, very good at his job, you know, very good physical producer, but just has, and and I'm a huge fan of Howard Stern. It's kind of like, I've been listening to Howard for years and it's, it's kind of like he has his circle of freaks you know, Ron, there's a Ronnie the limo driver, right? Is like the guy yeah. who drives his limo, but it's comedy gold and it's based yeah. in reality. So I've always been a fan in that regard where you're taking what's real and because, you know, that's how we, we interact in real life. You're, you're, yeah. you meet somebody and it's, you know, I certainly have friends or people in my life that, I get a kick out of because I mean, I'm, I'm always, I always say I'm like a fan of the freaks and you know, um, <laughs> fellow with two heads. So is Carl. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, that's for sure. That's for sure. So, um, I do, I, I you're going to inspire. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that I have not, I mean, I think it's because there was just I, so much audio and no, again, so- it became my life, you know, and it's like, 
I'm still slightly haunted when I hear Ricky Gervais's <laughs> laugh because I've been in the editor edit yeah. bay and you know it's it's a lot. So um, that might be a little bit of a knee jerk reaction. Um, it's be careful what you wish for to an extent, but I'm oh, sure that they're incredible. And you know, I I certainly know a a, a lot about it and understand the. Um, how it was the forerunner to everything. And, and I love the origin story of it, that Steve pushing Ricky to the office after, yeah. you know, doing it, you know, I, I totally get it. I totally get like the, the whole backstory. Um, so I do need to listen to them. Um, to, when your post-traumatic stress disorder from Ricky's laugh kind of yes. arms down, I would, yeah, start on the audio because it's, it's fantastic. I'll say it's even more authentic than the podcast, but you know, You'd no, I'm sure you're right, because I'm sure it was just off the cuff. It's not like they had, like, millions of people listening um, to it. It was just them kind of just to local mucking rate. about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, um, I touched on it earlier. What was it like being nominated for an Emmy? I mean, that's such an achievement. Was it exciting going to the Emmys? Were you disappointed? Not no, to it work? was really boring, Gary. It was really <laughs> well, boring. Well, first of all, <laughs> it's the Creative Arts Emmys, which is, like, a little less exciting than the proper Emmys. No, Second of all, well, I'd say, yes, it's exciting to be nominated for an Emmy. I really, really knew in, like, my gut that it was – it's Ricky Gervais can't not be nominated for an Emmy. You know, at that point, yeah. it was like it, – it wasn't, like, about work that we did. It was just – I mean, the, I, I just feel that that's, that's just Hollywood and politics, and, and that's fine because I think we, des we deserved it. I – honestly thought we were going to win not because of the work but because of ricky so i was kind of i mean honestly i was just like well we're definitely going to win and it wasn't based on me and and you know our team and the work it was just like how could ricky lose so i did like prepare a speech so i was disappointed because i just expected it because it's ricky but um but yeah it, it was a great acknowledgement for sure um and you know definitely proud of it uh like i said i feel like um the the show might have been ahead of its time and, yeah. and would have loved if we had a, a little more um, recognition for the kind of creative endeavor that it was. It's, it's mm. hard to understand how it's, how it's, it's, you know, it, how it, how it was put together, but, yeah. but yes, of course it's a wonderful honor and it's great. And um, you know, it's uh Again, like I said, it just as long as it's bringing more attention to yeah. Carl, that's that's the most important thing. <laughs> it, it seems just like everything that Ricky touches kind of turns to gold. Like he's such a, he he's such everything. a well-known face, isn't he? In like America, I mean, and he's so prolific, and he does a lot of things. Do you, do you follow like their careers now? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I mean, look, The Office is like I said, it's my. You know, top five really enjoying afterlife and uh obviously like watched extras and watched yeah, all yeah. of hello ladies um so yeah i i i'm i'm very i'm very up to uh, you know up to date on on ricky's stand-up humanity and uh everything else so i i will say when when we were in the early throes of covid I don't do, you know, it's not like Ricky and I are tight, but if I email him, he'll email me back. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so I sent an email and I said, I think it's about time that you bring the band back together you know, oh. because it's COVID. <laughs> and he just, I forgot, he just wrote back, ha, ha, ha. And I was like, I'm kind of not kidding. You know, like we need it, you know, we need you. Because um, I just thought it'd be a great time to, there are so many people on on our Twitter <laughs> that that have been saying exactly the same thing. I often like just 
like search for his hashtag and there are so many people that want a reunion and this would be like I said this is what the world needs right now it could solve so many problems I mean imagine his Carl's thoughts on COVID right like we just yeah we 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 need to know (laughs) there'll be insects involved and bugs yes or in some way I don't know what way but like they don't get it and we do or something yeah but um, oh and of course I forgot to mention an idiot abroad I mean that was just you know it almost it's just fantastic fantastic yeah it's just unbelievable it's nice that you're still in touch with Ricky in that way, that you still kind of got a relationship with him now. That's nice. Yeah, I wouldn't say a relationship. I would say that anytime I email, if I, I, I'm very judicious, but I can send an email, you know, um, and, and it's funny because I foster dogs and I followed up, oh, oh. I, you know, and so I said, oh, I'm fostering a dog. You know, it's like I can talk about animals and stuff with him. And he was like that, you know, that's lovely. So, yeah, he's he's always lovely and responds right away. So uh, we've kept you for a long time, Lisa. So I don't know if you've got more time. I but do. Don't want to. No, I have I have things that I want to share with you guys that are important little secret. Any okay. secrets you've got. Yeah. OK. So my favorite story is that I did go to London uh, I think I went to the Edinburgh Festival. I was just taking advantage of my Amazing. position. It wasn't really a business. Of course, I took the opportunity to sit to tell Ricky, and then um, I met in his office. And I met him in LA because I saw him do stand up. That was the first time I met him. And I think I also saw him at Carnegie Hall in New York. So I had already met him in person, but I hadn't met Steve. So I met him at his office, and Steve was there. And we were just, you know, it was just like a general just to say hello and kind of meet in person. And they were in the middle of filming um, An Idiot Abroad. And I think, and then Ricky just played this message, a voicemail message for me from Carl when he, he got sick on a boat, you know, like he, I forgot, I forgot what it was, but he yeah. was just laughing. Basically, I'm sitting there and I, and I know I have Stephen and Ricky and I just said, okay, uh, I don't know the next time I'm going to have you both in a room. So I do feel that I could probably teach a college course on the office. So I have a couple things that I want to bring up and they were like, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was just great because I was able to really get in depth about things about the office and, um, you know, just, just ask certain questions. And, um, that was a real treat. So we're, we're having that conversation and, you know, I'm just, we're just sitting and kind of talking and then, all of a sudden the door opens and in comes in Carl. Okay. And he's wearing a baseball cap. He's got a cup of coffee and, and they didn't tell me Carl was coming. Did you fango? Oh, just wait. So, um, he comes in and they're like, you know, I'm like, Carl, hi, you know, he's, he's really tall and he has this bag with like a muffin in it. So he sits and, and he, he sits on the couch or wherever and he starts and, you know, Ricky's behind his desk, kind of like with his feet on the table, probably. And oh, Carl starts eating this muffin. Right. And like Ricky's like, watch the crumbs. You know, like they're literally like the yeah. dynamic is a thousand percent yeah, real. Yeah. But and, and, and the big thing that that I loved was that Ricky had told me, you know, because Carl doesn't like much, a lot of what Ricky he doesn't give Ricky a lot of love in terms of his content, you know, or what he does, but he loved the show. He loves animation. He loved the show. So I was like, that is huge. So I was like, Carl, I'm so thrilled that you like the show. And, and Ricky goes, yeah, he keeps wondering when he's going to get paid. And like Carl said something like, 
you know, uh, yeah, it's it feels like the Wizard of Oz. Like, who's the person who's paying me, you know? And I go, Carl, I'm not in charge of payment, but I'll look into it. The, the thing about Carl in real life the, in that dynamic was that, again, the dynamic, and I just share this because it's a thousand percent real. Like, th- there's no question, but Carl laughs more often. You know, he smiles more often. Like, we were Aww. really careful in the show to make him super deadpan and not ever happy but um i was just elated it was just like a dream come true and um ricky said um i just played lisa the the voicemail message of you getting sick on the boat and um he said you know i don't know what happened i took a fisherman's friend and i just i just said carl i said that's a lozenge it's not for seasickness and he goes yeah carl and and he's like oh really and it it was like i was all of a sudden in the podcast right you know it was it was so cool that i was just participating and kind of admonishing carl for making a bad call for the seasickness And then towards the end of the kind of visit, um, I turned to Ricky. I said, he, I go, he is so much more smiley and happy in real life. And Ricky laughed. He goes, and it doesn't take long for people to talk about him like he's not in the room. And I go, oh, my God, Carl, I'm so sorry. You know, because it's literally like he's this creature or this thing that you have to comment on. And you, yeah. do, I didn't say, Carl, like, I'm just talking to Ricky about him, you know, like a cabinet so of curiosity. Surreal. So it was just an utter delight, you know, that I'll, that I'll never forget to have them all three in the room and that Carl, you know, took the time to, to come by. Not please. He has nothing else to do, but you know, that he, <laughs> um, he's growling. I mean, you know, we're not, I'm not uh, that honored, but, um, it was just so wonderful to know that he was a fan of the show um, and and uh, really enjoyed the animation and um, yeah, it was it was great. So that was that's a really fantastic. big highlight for me. That's fantastic and what a surreal but brilliant experience because you weren't just you were the producer of the Ricky Gervais show, but as we've heard, you are a mega fan like like we are like huge fans mega so fan in that it, mega. to be in that yeah so just to be in that environment must be i i would give anything to kind of have been i there would i would freak out i think i would be okay with ricky i think but if i saw carl <laughs> i just don't know what to make like you said being really tall and he's quite striking and because you love him so much it's just such yes. a bizarre thing to meet your heroes and yes and it's just a little fella from manchester yeah <laughs> totally and it was and again it was just such a surprise like when he just ambled in like late you know and it was just i just didn't know he was coming so i never thought i'd meet him and just and i just share because people you know so there's like these conspiracy theories that carl's an act and i'm like it's not an act i was there i saw it in real life he took fisherman's friend he had no idea that fisherman's friend was a lozenge and i called him out on it and so did ricky so it's like none of it's an act it's totally real um other than the fact that he does seem to smile more um and you see that in an idiot abroad yeah and you see it in an idiot abroad he does smile yeah and he's so great, though, when you see him, like, definitely the, the later series of Nidget Board and Moaning of Life. He loves people, and he dances, and he gets involved. Yeah. He's a proper people person. So you, you can play, and that's, I don't know, that's kind of ignorance that people have, I suppose. Because you can be you can be dead deadpan and silly, but in, in other environments, you can really thrive and, you know, take to people. And, you know, he comes across so well in, in everything. I think everyone should be a little bit like Carl, actually. <laughs> 
I mean, Ricky adores him for his brain, but also he just doesn't give a shit, you know, excuse me, yeah. French about, about, you know what I mean? Like he just does not care how much money Ricky has or how much success or awards. He literally doesn't care, you know, and that's great. That's, you know, also kind of like a British tradition uh, yeah. that, that is being upheld. And uh, that's, that's really great. So yeah. all that are, yeah, there's a similarity between them in, yeah. in many ways. Oh, no, I completely agree. Lisa, thanks so much. I mean, I don't want to, you know, we've, we've taken up so more of your time than we would planned to, but you, your insights were so fascinating. Yeah, it just It's so great to hear, especially about you being in their office and Carl coming in. And, yes. You know, but everything about what you've talked about is really interesting. So thanks so much for coming well, thank on. Thank you, Lisa. I, I've really enjoyed that. <laughs> I just Well, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, I you're very welcome. I love talking to you both. And that was it, guys. That was the interview with executive producer of The Ricky Gervais Show, Lisa Ullman. Lisa was lovely, wasn't she, she Gary? She was lovely. She was, we spoke to her a bit off air beforehand and off air afterwards, and she was as lovely then. She was, um, yeah, very, very forthcoming as well in her interview. And that makes for a perfect interview, really, because she, she, she kind of spilt the beans on, not, not on anything private, but just on little interactions and things so yeah fascinating she really is a fan isn't she she's such a she's a geek like us it's so but it's so it's nice to hear way. but like we sort of said at the end of the interview because so many things you know you kind of consider these things just made by a sort of conveyor belt by committee but there was such love dedication and passion involved in that project and you know it's true what she says it pays to be a fan yeah, but she wasn't any old fan. To be involved to that level, you've got to be a fan and an incredibly talented producer of, of TV. And yeah. she was. So it was a perfect marriage. And I can't imagine there's that many marriages come together that well, that often in TV. You, as you say, you imagine things are kind of conveyor belt produced. And I bet a lot of things are. But this was clearly made with love and i'm going to revisit them and i would urge listeners you know go back after the interview have a watch of some of the episodes i'm going to do that um we're fans of the animated show here but it's fair to say we're more of fans of the xfm show that's fine to say but it's just because that's our podcast that's that's the kind of foundation but we we love the animated show yeah did um but i'm gonna go back and, and watch some but yeah fantastic and i hope this interview has kind of added to your enjoyment you got like a little bit of a sneak behind the curtain i'm i'm an absolute you know geek i like to know everything about <laughs> everything that i'm obsessed by so yeah. um yeah i i've, I've well, that. several people any anyone who watches in a film who likes he's i i'm glad that it ended when it did because i i needed the bathroom <laughs> Mars is in his way, yeah but no i i but uh, we i could have talked to her for another oh, hour easily, like, but we just didn't want to take up her time hopefully uh, hopefully enjoyed that let us know your thoughts on it next week we've got coming up another interview very different guests completely different so he was he's he does work in media and things but he's he's called laurie what's his name laurie, laurie peters he's an artist yeah. illustrator animator he was carl's I, th- I believe one of carl's only friends yeah, yeah so um we won't say too much about it now because we don't know that much about him. we don't know how it'll go but that's mm-hmm. next week and then after that we'll get back to our normal detrap spinners episode 34 i think or whatever we're on so yeah hope you enjoyed it let us know your thoughts yeah tweet us uh, at spinners podcast and on email spinners podcast at gmail.com
But yeah, that was the interview. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know your thoughts and we'll see you next week. Thank you.